All right, so today we're concluding a, uh, a series on habits, and um, we're going to be in the book of Colossians today. So if you have your Bibles, you may want to find your, your place in Colossians chapter 2 and 3. Um, we're finishing a series on habits. Last week, or two weeks ago, we talked about how it's a race that we run, and every little step matters. That's the imagery you see on the screen there with the small dominoes uh, leading to bigger things. So it's a race that we run, and what we said that first week was that we want to run every step with purpose. Last week we talked about what it means to start new habits and how challenging it is maybe to start doing new things, new disciplines. So we asked this question, based on who you want to be, what do you need to do? Based on who you want to be in Christ, what steps do you need to take? Um, we specifically emphasized three habits that uh, I was encouraging you to telling you that these three things, if you'll develop these three things, cultivate these three things in your life, it'll transform who you are in a good way. And what we said is if, if you will start habitually praying, reading the word and connecting to the, the church, connecting to the body of Christ, fellowship with God's people. So there's a different way to say that we want to. We want to get God's ear in prayer. We want to hear God's voice through His Word. And we want to be with God's people in fellowship. So those, those three priorities, if those things will become significant habits in your life, I promise you it will transform who you are into who you want to be. One of the things we've been saying is the, uh, the space between who you are and who you want to be that distance, the, the bridge that gets you from who you are to who you want to be is called discipline. It, it's, it's just steps that, that you need to be disciplined and committed to, to taking to follow Christ. And Here's the deal. We are, um, theologically speaking, we are stuck between um, justification. That's a big theological word that means you've been saved. God has declared you righteous based on His Son, Jesus Christ. So as a Christian, you're justified, and one day you will be glorified, right? These are big theological terms. You, you've been declared righteous, and one day it'll all be finished in glory. You'll go to heaven. Things will be perfect. Everything will be perfect. Glorification. But we live right here. Between justification and glorification is another theological term called sanctification. And it's a process. So here's what I'm telling you. We are in process. God is changing and developing us and making us new. That's what he's doing. So last week we talked about starting some new disciplines. And this week I want to talk about stopping some things that you are doing maybe that are not pushing you toward Christ. You know, we started this whole journey talking about this um, walk with Jesus as a race. And Hebrews chapter 12 um, says, let us lay aside every weight and sin which so easily entangles us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Looking unto Jesus, the author, finisher of our faith. Right. So what we're going to do today is talk about laying aside the weights and the sins that so easily entangle us. That's what we're talking about. Um, and what I want to tell you is that just like Major successes, major milestones in life don't happen um, with usually one big decision. It's usually a lots of small domino-like decisions that lead up to major impact. In the same way, 
usually major failures, major moments of failure don't happen normally in one big decision. It's usually lots of little bitty domino-like decisions that culminate in major uh, mess-ups, major failures. So here's the thing. We are very short-sighted. We tend to see things right here and not for the long term. So what, one of the things we've been saying is um, discipline equals... If you haven't written this down yet, you might want to write this down. I think this is a, a really good truth for us. Discipline is choosing what you want most over what you want now. Discipline is choosing most, choosing what you want most over what you want now. It's the ability to be long-sighted, not short-sighted, but long-sighted. So let me tell you that I think we, most of us, are believing two lies. And I want to try to illustrate um, this for us today. Most of us are believing two lies. Quite Van White style, but uh, we'll give him credit. Thank you, brother. So the first lie that you and I probably are believing is that the small bad decisions that we make, small bad decisions that we make really don't mess with us that much, really don't take you off track. Small bad decisions, they're really not that significant. You know, we think, well, you know, this, this cigarette's not going to give me lung cancer. Or we think, you know, this drink is not going to make me an alcoholic. Or we think, you know, this one night stand is just one night. Or we think, and so on, and so on, and so on it goes until what we don't realize is that we're filling up our lives. We, we actually become what we repeatedly do. We don't think that those little bitty decisions have huge impact on us. But the small things that we do, the small bad decisions that we make, they actually do impact us on the long haul. And just like that, we also don't think that the uh, small good decisions that we make. Whoop. This is messy. We also don't think that the small good decisions that we make, like... This didn't fall off. Like, um, well, I've read my Bible now seven days in a row. I don't see a difference. Hmm. Been praying, man. I've been writing in my prayer journal. Nothing seems to be changing. I still got all this junk in my life. We've gone to church two months straight and met all these people. We still don't really know anybody. Nothing seems to be changing. But what you do consistently over time will actually begin to transform your life. So as you consistently continue to press in and do the things that you know God wants to do, God wants to use to change you, He starts getting rid of all the things that are messing you up, are dragging you down. All these small decisions that you're making, 
begin to be transformed. That one's stuck in there. Begin to be transformed. Come on now. There we go. Sometimes you got to give it a little whack, right? Um, but as you, as you begin to make these small decisions and, and do them consistently, what you see is sometimes the, the bad habits, the bad routines, the bad decisions actually just work themselves out. The Lord has a way of, when you fill yourself up with Him, He has a way of getting rid of all of that other garbage, except for that guy. All right. I hope that helps and gives you sort of a visual, some illustration to see that the small good decisions, you know, maybe you're tempted to think, thank you, Tucker, watch out for that water there, bro. Maybe you're tempted to think that those small decisions don't have that big of an impact. But I'm telling you, they do. And wisdom has the ability to see for the long haul, not just to look in the moment. You know, in the moment, you drop that little bad decision in there, it doesn't seem to have that big of an impact. In the moment, you pour a little bit of, a little bit of, of, of godly discipline of walking with Jesus into your life. And maybe, you know, that day somebody cuts you off in traffic and you still lose your cool. And you're like, man, this, this reading my Bible is not really changing me. I'm still losing my temper. This being disciplined is not really changing me. I'm still having problems. I want to encourage you. We've got to give ourselves to the habits. That's the reason we're calling it habits. A habit is something you've done so repeatedly that it's just become part of who you are. It's not something you have to think about doing. You don't actually make a decision. It's just something you do because it's who you, it's who you are. We often um, summarize people's downfall in one sentence, you know. And when we do that, it's not that it's inaccurate. It's just it misses all the little dominoes that led up to the big failure. So we might would say something like, well, you know, he really struggled with obesity. That's why he had a heart attack at 56. And it's like that wasn't like he just chose one day to be obese. There was there was a lot of decisions, right, that led up to that. Or we might would say something like, well, he was irresponsible at work. And so they they fired him. Well, okay, but what, does, what, what were the little domino decisions that qualified irresponsible? Or maybe we would summarize like a whole decade of decisions in just one little summary. Maybe we'd say something like, well, she kept staying late at work. She you know, fell into temptation. She cheated on her husband. Now they're divorced, and it's, it's a mess. We might would summarize like 10 years of decisions in one little sentence. And when we do that, maybe it's the highlight reel. Maybe it's true. But what we're not acknowledging is all of the little bitty decisions that played into that massive moment, right? You know, Scripture talks like that as well and occasionally gives us these huge summary statements. In Judges chapter 16, you have one of those. Um, It's about a man named Samson. And here's what it says in Judges 16.1. It says, One day Samson went to the Philistine town of Gaza and spent the night with a prostitute. One day, he went to Gaza and spent the night with a prostitute. Now, it sounds very like it's a summary statement, right? But what we know is that that decision doesn't just happen overnight. Like you don't just decide to go 25 miles from your house on foot or on camel 
just to sleep with somebody unless you've had some of those type domino decisions in your life up to that point. What we learn from Samson is that this is just part of his story, right? He slept with this lady and then later on what we discover is he he does have a problem with beautiful, seductive women. And Delilah would ultimately be his downfall. So these massive failure moments don't just happen usually overnight. It's lots of small decisions. And the scripture talks about this. It says in Proverbs 4, 14 and 15. um, Listen to this. This is three times the Lord warns us. He says, do not enter the path of the wicked. Do not walk in the way of the evil. Now listen to these three warnings. Avoid it. Don't go on it. Turn away from it and pass on. Like this three times, a triple warning from God to stay away from trouble. Avoid that path. Do not go on it. Turn away from it and pass on. And the thing is, we're running a race. And this race that we're running as believers is not a sprint. It's a long cross-country type run. And it's going to require faithfulness on the long haul. But the little bitty decisions that we make along the way can either set us up for um, moments like Daniel had in the lion's den or moments like Samson had with Delilah. The little small decisions, they matter. So big question I want to ask us this morning that we're going to try to look to the scriptures for answers is this. Where does the strength to stop come from? So maybe your struggle today is... Uh, some kind of drug or some kind of, maybe it's alcohol, maybe it's cigarettes, maybe, I don't know what it is. Maybe that's an addiction for you. Where does the strength to stop come from? And I want to help you with an answer to that. Maybe you have another addiction. Maybe it's, uh, or I hesitate to use the word addiction because I feel like most of us would say, I'm not addicted, I can stop. That's usually what people who are addicted say, right? Um, but maybe you have another struggle. Maybe it's looking at images on your phone or on your computer that you know these are not good for you. Um, Maybe it's just fill in the blank. I'm not going to try to figure out what your particular struggle is, but all of us have struggles. Every one of us in this room has something that needs to go, right? Every one of us. So the question is, where does the strength come from? How do I quit? Let's look to the Scriptures. Okay, Colossians chapter 2 is where we'll be. Colossians chapter 2, and let's look at... uh, We'll we'll actually read verses 20 on into chapter 3 a good bit. Alright, in honor of God's Word, would you stand with me as we honor the Lord and His Word? Colossians chapter 2 and verse 20 says this, If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulation? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to things that all perish as they are used, according to human precepts and teachings. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body. But get this phrase. But they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. If then you have been raised with Christ, 
Seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these, you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here, there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Lord Jesus, it's our prayer today that you help us in this race of sanctification. Lord, we want to become more like Jesus, but I see in my own life things that do not look like Christ. And I need you, Lord. We need you to change. Help us today. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. You can be seated. All right, if you're using the teaching outline, I hope you are. Maybe this will help you remember these truths. But from this text, first thing we want to see is that rules and regulations do not stop evil desires. Rules and regulations do not stop evil desires. Um. I've, I've done a lot, of, a lot of marriage counseling here lately and then over the years, done a lot of marriage counseling. And the closer couples get to a marriage, the, the more intense the struggles to, to keep purity, to keep things sexually pure. The more intense the struggle because it's like, this is about to happen. We're about to be married. This is awesome. And so the excitement gets harder and harder and harder, right, to resist um, the temptation. And so what I find in counseling young couples is they're trying to stay pure before marriage is they'll, they'll set all kinds of rules. All right, you can't be in my house past 9 p.m. You can't be there. We can't do that. Um, I can't be with you on Wednesdays. That's just not a good day for me <laughs> or whatever it is, right? They set all these rules in hopes that these rules are going to make them holy. And here's what the scriptures tell us. Look at the end of chapter 2. It says you've been setting all these rules. Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. But here's what you need to know. They are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. Rules and regulations do not stop evil desires. Um, I've been uh, privileged to, to, to go the past couple of weeks and visit with some of our friends, our inmates in the local jail which is a phenomenal ministry that I'm so glad we support as a church. And uh, these last few weeks, I've been able to go and just sit and talk to inmates. And this past Tuesday, I was sitting on a table in uh, one of the sections and was talking to about four guys. And um, the conversation um, turned toward the, the, the scriptures, turned toward the gospel. They were just asking questions. 
And uh, one guy said, man, I need to know how to stop doing what I'm doing. And y'all, I love the intensity because he said, this is my fourth time in this place. And every time I get out of here, I go right back. I go right back to trouble every time I get out of here. He said, can you tell me how to stop? I don't know if you share that same intensity, but what that man in jail would tell you is that just because he's in jail and the temptation has been practically removed doesn't mean the evil desire is gone. Do we see what I'm talking about? The rules and regulations, the imprisonment of like he cannot indulge his flesh in jail in the in the ways we're talking about he cannot do it but it has not stopped the desire here's the here's the great reality the the beautiful truth of the gospel is that the gospel is not behavior modification the gospel of jesus christ is not intended just to make you a good person to, to help you to stop doing bad things and start doing good things that's not the gospel The gospel is that Jesus Christ wants to take out that old heart and put in a new heart. It's not just behavior modification. It's heart transplant, life transformation. That's the beauty of the gospel. It's it's a surrender to him. It's a I'm casting my my life, my evil desires on you. And I need to not be made better. I need to be made new. That's what Jesus offers us. It's so much better than just rules and regulations. They have no power to stop the indulgence of the flesh. Number two. So what power is it? What power is it that transforms us? Paul says at the end of chapter 2, they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. And then he says this, if then or since you have been raised with Christ. Then he says, seek things that are above. Set your mind on things that are above. He says, if you've been raised with Christ. And I want to tell you that resurrection power is not just for your future. It's not just for your glorification. It's actually for your sanctification. This moment between justification and glorification. I used to think that Jesus not being in the grave was really good news that I would not also be in the grave. That when I die, because he's not in the grave, I won't be in the grave. And that's true. And it's beautiful. And we should celebrate it. But I need hope for now, not just then. And the beauty of the gospel, a resurrected Jesus, tells us this. He didn't just defeat the grave. He's defeated the power of sin over your life. He's not just defeated the the punishment of sin in the past. And he's not just provided a promise for the absence of sin in your future. But He's provided for you by an empty grave, by a bloody cross and an empty grave. He's provided for us power over sin today. That's the beauty of the Gospels. The resurrection power is not just for your future. It's for right now. We can look to the, the hope of the cross and an empty grave and say, Okay, 
by the power of an empty grave, I'm going to walk in Christ today. I'm going to walk in faith in Him today. And that's how the Apostle says, if you've been raised, now you're actually empowered to obey Him. You are empowered to obey these commands. So now, seek things that are above. That's a present tense verb. It's not just in the future, sometime you'll be above. No, He's commanding us, seek things that are above. What does that mean? It means what do you want? What are your desires? Like, Shift your passions. The Scripture is all the time warning us. What, what are you passionate about? What are, Jesus said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. At some point in the future, I'm going to do a message series on anxiety because it seems like there's an epidemic of anxiety. Just everybody I talk to seems so anxious and struggling with anxiety. And I just think that the Lord speaks to our anxiety a lot. And this right here talks directly to it. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, Jesus said, Seek first the kingdom. And what? All that other stuff, it'll be handled. Seek first the kingdom. The context of that command is in the context of anxiety. If you go back up to Matthew 6.25, he says, Do not be anxious about what you will eat or what you'll drink or what you will put on. Don't you know your father takes care of the flowers and the sparrows? He's handled that. You seek first the kingdom and all that other stuff will be taken care of. So how do you know if... You're not seeking things that are above. You're probably anxious. As Jesus said, if you seek the kingdom first, all the rest of that's going to be handled. You can trust your father. He also says, set your mind on things that are above. What does that mean? Well, remember, we're running a race. We set our mind. We focus. That's what this is all about. It's all about focus. Um, how many of you have watched horse races before? Anybody seen a horse race? All right. In a horse race, one of the things that I've always been fascinated by is they put this thing on the horse's face that looks like this. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Blinders. Why do they do that? Focus. Right? You don't want that horse to be doing this. That's not a good way to run a race, is it? But so many of us are running our race for Jesus just like this. And we wonder why we veer. You know, my wife is all the time on me because I'm a distracted driver. And we're driving down the road and I'm like, look at that house. And she's like, ditch, ditch, ditch. You're in the ditch. Okay, okay. All right, look at that over there. There's some cows. You're you're in the other lane, oncoming traffic, oncoming traffic. (laughs) She's so kind. But here's the deal. You have to set your mind on where you're going. And that's what the apostle is saying. You're, you're headed to glorification. So set your mind there. If you've been raised with Christ, set your mind on it and run your race. The beauty of the gospel is it's not just about your past and your future. It's about your, your present. The truth of the resurrection isn't just a cover your past and guarantee your future is to enable you to obey today. Thirdly, this quote 
I didn't, I didn't give you a fill in the blank here because I wanted you to see it and see it and see it again. This is a quote by a guy named John Owen, and he's written a whole book about this. It's called something about mortification of the flesh. It's old, but this quote. If you don't hear anything else, you need to hear this. Be killing sin, or it will be killing you. Be killing sin, or it will be killing you. There's no, there's no middle ground. There's no peace. It's, it's war. And either you're winning or you're losing. Not a peacetime place. I want to tell you, um, there's a three-headed dragon. I'm trying to give you some imagery today. Three-headed sin dragon that we fight against. Let me tell you what those three heads are. These are your three blanks. You ready? They're the devil. So first of all, we have an enemy. He's a real enemy. The scriptures talk about the prince of the power of the air in Ephesians chapter 2. First Peter says he's like a lion roaming about, seeking whom he may devour. John chapter 10, Jesus says he has come to steal, to kill, and to destroy. There's a real enemy. The devil is real. It's not made up, not movies. Hollywood didn't come up with him. He's real. And he wants to kill you. Jesus said he is seeking to steal, to kill, and to destroy. Here's what we do, though. We have this lion. We know. We know. He's prowling around, seeking whom he may devour. But you know what we do with our habits and our daily routine? What we do is we make him a little pallet over in the corner. Come here, little kitty. Come here, kitty. Just lay down right there. Okay. You stay right there. This big lion is curled up in the corner of your living room. And we somehow have made peace with our arch enemy. Thinking that he's not going to eat your head off in the middle of the night. But he's going to. He's not a friendly kitty. He has come seeking whom he may devour. And we should take that warning seriously to be killing sin. That's what the scriptures say in verse 5. This is where this comes from. The apostle Paul says, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you? Put to death. It's violent. It's aggressive. He says, put it to death. The second head of this sin dragon is the world. Okay, the world that we live in is broken. And all of the systems of this world are actually in opposition to Jesus Christ. All of the systems of this world. It's as if we're in a river and it's headed the other way. And we have to constantly be, be paddling our way upstream because the river of the world we live in is headed away from our God. Away from the glory of our God. Scriptures talk about in Ephesians 6, uh, the powers and principalities and rulers of darkness, right? In Ephesians chapter 2, it says, uh, the darkness of heart of the sons of disobedience. This is the course following the course of this world. The world has a course and it's away from our God. Jeremiah 17, 9 says, even the heart of man is desperately wicked. We could go on and on talking about this, but here's the deal. The external influences of this world. You just turn on the TV. Just watch for a few minutes and what you'll see. Everything you'll see will all be all about 
Elevate yourself. Self-glory, self-glory, self-glory. Because right now, that's the idol that seems to be working. Self-glory. Do, do this. Self, self, self. And Jesus says, no, if you want to be my disciple, deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow me. So the world is not pointing you to Christ. It's pulling you rapidly away like a serious undertow. We've got to be mindful about our enemy. And the third head is the flesh. And this is the one that Paul's directly dealing with here in this text. We have an enemy um, that, is a, that is aggressive like a lion. We have an enemy that is outside of us and is sort of pressing into us. And then, believe it or not, we have an enemy inside of us. We have an enemy that is intimate. He's a part of us, our old self. As the scriptures call him, we have an intimate enemy. It's our flesh. Look at what Paul says. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly where? Where does it say? What is earthly where? In you. Put to death what is earthly in you. He's going to go on to say, um, seeing that you, this is verse 9, seeing that you have put off the old self, And have put on the new self. Alright, here's the thing. We have an intimate enemy. It's our flesh. The flesh has real cravings. If they are gratified, they only grow stronger. Galatians 5 says it this way. That we must walk by the Spirit. And if you walk by the Spirit, you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. That's the Greek word sarkos. And what what, what it means is... Our, our, our old self, our fleshly enemy. James chapter 1 says, don't, when you're tempted to sin, don't say God is tempting me. Here's what's happening is that your own evil desires. And if we're all honest, that's there, right? If we're all honest, we all have some evil desires. Every one of us do. So again, the big question now is this. How do we slay this dragon? Paul's going to give us... I'm going to answer that, I hope, in a moment. Paul gives us two lists. I just want to look at those quickly. The list of specific sins he mentions can fit into really two categories. One's very personal and one is social. So one happens... Uh, in, in how you feel. Uh, one is really about perverted love and the other is about perverted hate. It's not how you feel. It's like how you talk and what you say and what you do to people. Look at these two lists. He gives us two specific lists. Put to death what's earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. The next list is down in verse 8. But now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another. So we have some pretty specific lists. These lists are not exhaustive, but they're a good sampling of our evil heart, of our evil flesh, and how we're to go to war against this dragon. A couple of things I want to tell you, and then I'm going to give you some uh, really practical stuff, I hope. Three quick things. There's a serious warning. Here it is in verse 6. On account of these things, the wrath of God is coming. 
Don't be deceived. God doesn't play games with sin. He brutally sent His own Son to die because of sin. He's not playing games with it. And we cannot either. This is a strong warning. On account of these things, the wrath of God is coming. We were talking about this text on Wednesday night and I was just talking through some things and, uh, for Bible study Wednesday night. And what we said is that anger and wrath are not the same thing. Anger is like the emotions. It's almost like the, the coal of burning embers that's deep within. Um, when uh, I, I have a visual of my mom, I know when I've made her angry, her mannerisms show me like that there's, some, there's something burning down there, right? And her mannerisms are like, Okay, stand back. Like something's cooking. <laughs> you know? And I don't know if you know what I'm talking about. You probably do. All right, so that, that's anger. It's down there. Wrath is different. It looks like this. Ah! Like wrath has action. It's anger that does something. And what this is talking about, the imagery we have here with the wrath of God coming. I was talking to the group Wednesday night. I was like, the, what comes in my mind? I've watched these videos online of people just standing on shore. Like these are live cell phone videos and they're standing on shore while a tsunami is coming in. Have you guys seen those videos? There's waves coming in and like there's little children playing right there on the shore and they're all just looking. Look at that big wave, right? The wrath of God. I'm not, not saying that that was wrath necessarily. I'm just saying that's the imagery in my mind of people just playing all, along the shore and here it comes. Boom! This massive thing just sweeps people away and it's not just a boiling anger underneath the surface it's the wrath of God is coming and if you think that's not real read Genesis 6 when God said um, every thought of man's heart is wicked I'm just going to wipe them out and he did all but eight people Noah and the ark. That's a picture of the wrath of God against sin. And Paul is writing and he says, the wrath of God is coming. Here's what I want to tell you. There was a quote recently, the bachelorette or somebody said. Um, this is terrible, right? But some, I saw this girl, she said, um, yeah, I've, this is a bad quote, misquoting. I've done terrible things. Jesus loves me. I don't know if you heard or saw that quote. Here's the problem with it. It's a little bit true. Like a little bit. But it totally misses all of this. Do you think God doesn't care about your sin? Read that verse again. Because he says, the, uh, on account of these, the wrath of God is coming. He's not playing games. So it's a serious warning. That's where the serious command comes in. He says this, put to death. Put to death. Paul says, kill the evil within you. Get violent with it. Get aggressive with it. Jesus is going to say the same things in Matthew chapter 5. He says, if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. What's the point of that kind of graphic, violent teaching is to say that sin matters to God. 
And we've got to stop brushing it under the rug as if it doesn't. Sweeping it under the rug and say, oh, God loves me. Yes, he does. Enough to change you. And enough to empower you to change. Enough to send his son to die on the cross to be risen from the dead so that you can change. Not so you stay the same. Be killing sin or it'll be killing you. So how do we do it? Paul says in here. Repeatedly, repeatedly in here. It's all about who before do. It's all about who are you now live like it. It's all about reckoning. It's all about considering who you are in Christ. Now who you are, you do these things. Look at how he words this. He's got it at least three different places. But look at verse 7. In these you two once walked when you were living in them. That used to be who you were. But you're not that person anymore. Who are you? Now do these things. Who are you? Now stop doing those things. He says it again in verse 9. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self. That old man, he's gone with his practices. And you have put on a new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. One of my favorite verses is in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 6. I'm not going to tell you which verse it is because I want you to read the whole chapter. But there's a little phrase in there. Paul describes some of the worst sinful people you can imagine. So many descriptions, a great list of all these heinous sins. And he's writing to the Corinthians, right, who are still struggling with a lot of those problems. And in 1 Corinthians 6, after this long list of really sinful things, he says, such were some of you. What's the point? That's not who you are anymore. What I want to tell us today is I I didn't come here today to tell you here's here's what you need to do. I've come here to tell you this. If any man is in Christ, he is a new creature. If any man is in Christ, he's a new creature. Behold, all things have passed away. All things, old things have passed away and all things have become new. If you're in Christ, that's what Paul's saying here. If then you've been raised with Christ. If you have been raised with Christ. Those things, that's not who you are. So just to use this illustration, I'm not picking on anybody. Okay, I love you. But if you're trying to break the habit of smoking, let's just say. You're trying to break that habit. Because you feel like it's not honoring the the body that God gave you. You know it's doing damage to you. And so you're like, I'm going to try to break this thing. So you've quit for 10 days. You come across an old buddy and he's like, hey man, you want to smoke? And you're like, there's two two options for you. You can either say, no man, I'm, I'm trying to quit. Or you can say... No, I'm not a smoker. Do you see the difference? One says, I am a smoker and I'm trying to stop. And the other one says, no, I have stopped because I'm not a smoker. 
Who before do? Who are you? Now live like it. We want to start with who we are. And we want to live like God has enabled us to be that person. Believing the truth that the the gospel is the power of God unto transformation. Not just salvation. Let me finish with this. So I want you guys, I want us, two things. Here's how I want us to respond to this today. One of two ways. One, you need to consider who you are in Christ. And you need to look at what are the things that I'm still doing that don't look like Jesus. Um, sat to lunch or breakfast with a guy years ago. And uh, it was supposed to be a fun breakfast. and It just didn't turn out real fun. He said, uh, something happened, waitress came over, and uh, he just sort of blew up on the waitress. And I was sitting there, and I was like, I think he saw it in my face. And he said, uh, he's like, oh, don't worry about that, man. That's just who I am. Do you hear the problem with that? So what was supposed to be a fun breakfast went like this. Not if you're in Christ. That was my next statement. You don't get to own that if you're in Christ. You don't get to own a personality trait that doesn't look like Jesus. And I feel like we do that all the time. We think, I mean, I'm in Christ and it's okay that I don't look like him. And what I want to tell us, church, let's repent. Okay, the things in us that don't look like Jesus, let's lay them at his feet and just say, I hate this as much as you hate it. I hate it. I want to be made new and I'm trusting that if you sent your son to die and you rose him from the dead and Romans 8 says that same spirit that rose him from the dead now lives in me. I think by the power of that spirit, I can stop this garbage. So what I want to call us to is let's be a people who embrace God's will for our sanctification. First Thessalonians 5 says this, God's will for you is this, that you be sanctified. Let's embrace the transformation that the gospel wants to have in us and stop owning the garbage that doesn't point to Christ. You don't get to own stuff as your personality that doesn't look like Jesus. If you're in Christ, the old has passed away. Behold, all things have become new. So two things. What one thing, if you stop today, would make the biggest impact on your personal relationship with God. What one thing. Now I know you're probably like me and there's probably 15 things you're thinking of that you need to stop. But if you think of 15, you won't do any of them. What one thing can you say that stops today? By the power of the empty grave, that stops today. And I want to tell you, if you're going to make that commitment, tell somebody. Tell somebody. Secondly, this is it. For some of you, you need to stop. But you need to stop resisting the Lord. For a long time, you've been trying to do on your own. And you've gotten the do before who backwards. And you're trying to do all the things that God wants you to do. And it's been nothing but failure. And I want to tell you, just stop. Just stop. Quit trying and start trusting in Jesus. There's a difference. And I want to tell you, just stop all of that and surrender your life to Christ. 
Stop looking elsewhere. There's not hope in anybody else. Only in Jesus. He's the only one who can save you from your sin. He's the only one that can set you free from your brokenness. Stop looking all these other places. Just fix your eyes on Jesus. And today, just surrender your life to Him. So those two things. Either in this room, you are a born-again believer and there's something that's got to stop in your life. And I want you to own it and give it to the Lord. Or you're not born again. And today's the day that you say, you know what? I'm not going to look to anybody else. I'm going to go all in with Christ. Surrender my life to Jesus.